here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, we're continuing on with our Truth for Life study, and uh, we're going to be looking at question nine. And then after question nine comes question ten, which we'll look at in a couple weeks. And then we'll be through like the first section of the uh, the study. The kids will be able to get their patches that they've been working as they've been memorizing these things. And uh, so we're going to be jumping in today looking at question nine. But I wanted to quickly again review uh, the main questions that we've been looking at. So what is the Bible? The Bible is the only inspired, written Word of God above all other books in wisdom, power, and authority. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul thanking the Thessalonians that they, when they received the Word of God, which was heard from the apostles, they received it as what it really was, the Word of God, which is working in believers. So if the Bible is God's Word, how can we know that the Bible is true? Well, we have to have the Spirit of God who opens God's Word and, and illuminates that truth to us. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And then, so how is it that God gave us the Bible? Well, He inspired, I keep forgetting to put that T there. Not holy men owe rights, this isn't Irish, but holy men too write down His words exactly as He wanted. And of course, Second Peter points, out, points us to the reality that prophecy did not come through man's will or man's exertion, but it came through uh, the Holy Spirit as He spoke from God, as these men spoke from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if the Bible comes from God, is it possible for it to have errors or lies or to be mistaken? And of course, God's character of being absolutely truthful means that uh, His Word is true. So does the Bible teach any errors or lies? No. God's Word is true and without error because God only tells the truth. We saw in Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So what is the content of the Bible? And it teaches us. What does it teach us? It teaches us what God wants us to believe about Him and how He wants us to behave before Him. And we talked about how the Scriptures provide, provide the call for us to trust or believe and that belief must come before behavior. Behavior does not bring about belief, but belief brings about behavior. And, of course, we looked in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So understanding all this and, and realizing that God uses men to give us His Word, can we be sure that God's Word is still good and true today? I mean, it was written thousands of years ago. It's been copied thousands of times. Um, it's been translated over and over again into all sorts of different languages. But yes, we can be sure that God's Word is true because God has promised to preserve His Word uh, good and true forever. The Word never changes. And we saw Jesus makes this promise that heaven and earth will pass away, but not an iota, not a dot. So not, not the smallest amount of God's Word will pass away until all is accomplished. So what is our need then for God's Word? Well, we need the Bible to show us who God is and how we can be right with Him through Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul charges Timothy, saying that from a childhood he was acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And then we said, well, how can then we, using God's Word, truly get to know God? And we come to understand that faith comes from hearing, and what is the content of our hearing? What must it be based upon? And the answer is it must be based upon the Word of God. And see that in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So there we are, caught up uh, to question nine, what we're going to look at today. And I think this is an important question for us to consider because it's not how we're naturally predisposed. The question is, what authority does the Bible have over us? What authority does the Bible have over us? So I think this is a, a legitimate question to ask, all right? Why should we listen to a book that was written thousands of years ago? It was written by people that were living in times that aren't like the times that we're in today. They didn't have the technological advances that we have today. Um, Why should we be listening to a book that was written thousands of years ago? Why does this book have authority over us? Well, The first answer to that is what we've understood about where the Bible comes from. Ultimately, does the Bible come from men? Ultimately. No, the Bible ultimately comes from who? From God. And so because the Bible comes from God, it holds the highest and final authority for what we must believe and how we must live. And again, we see that emphasis here in the answers of belief and behavior. What we must believe and how we must live. And the passage for this is one that we've looked at in other places throughout this study, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I wanted to talk, first of all, about why Scripture has authority. What are the reasons for Scripture's authority? And then I wanted us to look at the realms in which God's Word has authority in our lives. So, the first thing we see is that the, why we should trust or why Scripture has authority over our lives is because of its source. Where does Scripture gain its source from? It gains its source from God Himself. Um, God spoke by the Spirit through men. Now, this assumes something about God. It assumes that God has authority, right? I mean, if, if we're saying that the basis for our trusting in the authority of God's Word is in the fact that God has written it, then that's going to assume that God Himself has authority over our lives. Um, but God does, right? What, what's a reason? Give me one reason why God has authority in our lives. One reason. He's our creator, all right? By virtue of the fact that he has created all things, he has the right to um, govern his creation as he sees fit. So as creator, he has the right to tell us how to live our lives. And that those, his desires, the way he communicates that desire for us is given to us in his word. He desires and communicates through scripture. And what's interesting is when we see what God has said, and when we understand the the authority that comes with God's Word, there's actually a natural understanding that God's Word carries authority, even um, to people who maybe aren't believers. And this is seen in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is starting His ministry. He's preaching and teaching, 
And there's something substantially different about what Jesus says than all the rest of the teachers that the people there were familiar with. They were astonished at his teaching. Why? Well, he taught them as one who had what? Authority and not as the scribes. That Jesus' teaching, because of who he was, held with it an a imperative on their lives. They listened to him preaching, and, and they came to a conclusion that they needed to listen. They needed to obey and, and live underneath what he was saying, which was different than the scribes. And, and later on in different passages in Scripture, Jesus deals with, it and th- deals with this and says, the scribes, they derive their authority not from Scripture, but from tradition, from the way that they had interpreted things. And so the, the difference is seen in the authority that lies in God's Word. You read the Bible, and it will tell you to do things. And it, from one sense, we think, boy, that's awfully audacious, that the Bible would, would tell, like, for instance, that the Bible would tell wives to submit to their husbands, all right? How, who does, who does the, what does the Bible think it has to give that type of command into such an intimate area of our lives? But yet that authority is vested not in the Scriptures by, just by the words themselves, but because of who it is that wrote the Scripture. So the source of Scripture is one reason why we're to listen to God's Word. Now, that would be enough, all right? Does God need to explain Himself as Creator? And it is, I mean, just the fact that He is Creator, is that enough for us to listen to His Word? Yes. But what's interesting in the passage we're looking at, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so while the source of Scripture is um, God Himself, we also find that another reason to let Scripture have authority in our lives is that there is new life that comes from Scripture. Notice again how Paul speaks of Scripture being breathed out by God. Now that should immediately take your minds someplace else. When else do we see the breath of God being used in, uh, in Scripture? There's one seminal event that happens when God uses His breath. Genesis 2, He breathes into who? And to Adam, and what happens to Adam? He becomes a living soul. He comes alive. And so the same creative power that brings physical life to a clump of clay in how God breathed that into him, that same life-giving hope is found in the Word of God. And we see this actually in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a passage where Jesus is speaking the truth. He's speaking authoritatively. He's calling people, and he's, he's saying audacious things. He's saying, look, unless you completely and totally trust in me, there's no hope for you. You'll never know the kingdom. You'll never be part of God's kingdom. You have to trust completely in me. And that's sort of an audacious thing for him to say, but he's saying it with authority. And he says this, and he says it in such a way that it adds a little bit of an offense to the people that are listening. And so all of a sudden he has this huge, these huge crowds that are following him. And, and in John 6, it says they all go away from him. They all leave him. They weren't willing to place their lives under the authority of who Christ was and what he was teaching. And so Jesus then turns and looks to the 12 disciples, right? the 12 that he had chosen. And he says to them, he says to them, 
He said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? So he confronts them with a, with a question. Are you willing to place yourself under the authority of my words, my authority? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? So he's saying, I'm, I'm going to place myself under the authority of your words. Why? Because you have the words of what? Eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I, I think it's important here to note that, this, uh, that placing himself underneath the authority of Christ, it's not just enough to hear it. It's not just enough to, to make your, put yourself in a position where you're constantly hearing the Word of God. And this, I think, is a mistake that many times Christians sort of, or quote-unquote Christians, fool themselves into. Well, as long as I go to church and I hear the Word, at least I'm getting something good. Yes. But notice what Peter's done. Not only does he recognize that Jesus has the words of eternal life, what does he do personally with those words? We have what? Believed. And the first step of recognizing and living under the authority of Jesus Christ is a step taken by faith. Faith and knowledge of who Christ is and recognizing that we are to live underneath His authority. So, why should Scripture have authority over us? It is a source. The source is God Himself. Scripture itself brings new life. And then finally, Scripture is a gift of God's grace. It's a gracious gift that God has given us. So, we know second, or we know Second um, Timothy three sixteen very well. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, and what's the next word? Profitable. All right, it's profitable. Um, Paul speaks in Second Second Timothy three sixteen about how it's profitable. The, the idea here is that it is useful or it's purposed. It has it has something that it's seeking to accomplish. It actually does something, which makes the Scripture different than any other work or any other book that is in existence in the world today. It actually accomplishes something. It does something. Now, there are four areas in particular where God has purposed for His Word to work, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But I think it's important to note that the profitability of Scripture is a gracious gift of God. God always works to bring about His purposes for His Word. It always accomplishes its purpose. And we see this in Isaiah 55, well-known passage. And, and I, I put the whole passage here because I think it's important to note what Isaiah is comparing and contrasting. He says, "...seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near." So what does that require? Well, it requires the wicked forsaking whose way? His own way. And remember what is said in Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to whose way? Our own way. Which points us to the reality. What, what authority do we really want to live under? We don't want to live under Christ's authority. We don't want to live under God's authority. We want to live under our own authority. We want ourselves to be the authority in our lives. 
But notice what Isaiah is calling us to do. The wicked has to turn away from his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts. He's to return to the Lord so the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, here is why one of the reasons why God's word has authority. His thoughts, are they our thoughts? No, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, what does, this, what does he go on to say about his word? Oh. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they do what? They water the earth. It comes down and it provides water to the earth so that the, the plants will bring forth and sprout. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So it is that God's word that goes from his mouth, it shall not return to me, what? Empty or vain. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So let's think about this practically, particularly regarding the promises of God, all right? God makes many different promises in His Word. For, for instance, He talks in, in the Beatitudes. He talks about that there are certain traits of happy people, blessed people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are peacemakers. Um, now, God says that that's true. If we put our lives under the authority of God's Word and seek to live those principles out in our lives, then God is promising us that we will be what? Blessed. We'll be happy. We'll have a fulfilled life. And so, in submitting myself to God's Word, I can have confidence that what He says His Word will do will actually accomplish the purpose for which He's given it. So again, those three reasons for Scripture's authority. The source of Scripture, it comes from God, and God as Creator has every right, every absolute right to tell us what to do. It's breathed out by God, as is said in 2 Timothy 3.16, so that new life comes from God's Word. And then it is a gracious gift of God that is profitable to bring about the things that we that God purposes for it to accomplish. Now, we've talked about the reasons for Scripture's authority. Now, let's talk about the realms of Scripture's authority. Where, to what extent, or in what particular ways in this passage does Paul point us to recognizing Scripture has authority? Now, in, in one sense, is there any area of our life that the Scripture does not have authority? No. And to everything that Scripture speaks about, we are to submit to it as though God Himself has told us these things. So that goes back to the fact that it's the source. But in particular, Paul sort of walks us through a process in the way in which our submission to God's Word and the authority that it has works in our life. So the first realm that Scripture has authority in is in its teaching. The content of what we believe, the content of doctrine that we're to have, 
must be determined by Scripture and not man's thoughts. Now, this is what makes the difference between a biblically-based way of thinking, a biblical worldview, a biblically-based ministry, and everything else that puts itself out in the guise of being Christian. People can slap Christian on all sorts of things, but does that mean that it's truly Christian? No. How do we, how do we evaluate that? And it begins with where they take their teaching from. What do they view as the authoritative source of teaching? If we do not start here, if we do not start by letting the Bible be the thing that forms our understanding and our beliefs about who God is and how we're to know Him, then everything else that Paul mentions here in these next three realms, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to occur in our lives. In everything we believe, our question must be, does the Bible teach this? Not, does my pastor teach this? Does my, does my confession teach this? Does my church teach this? Those are all looking and giving authority to things that aren't to have that authority. What is the one thing that has authority to teach the truth that God has given us? It's found in His Word. And that's the profitable part that Scripture has. It's profitable for teaching. But is teaching and the doctrine of Scripture, is it just given so that we can fill our heads with knowledge? No. And that's why Paul says that uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and then for the term he uses is reproof. Or I'm going to use the term conviction. Once we accept the content and the truthfulness or the veracity of what Scripture teaches, then, then this is where we see it it affecting and doing things in our lives as the Spirit of God convicts us of its truth. All right? So if, if the Bible is authoritative and I recognize that authority and then I, I see what the Bible tells me to do and then the Spirit reflects in my life and says, well, your life doesn't match up with what God is saying that you're to do and then I feel guilt for that, that's what we call conviction. That's the Spirit showing us how we're falling short of the glory of God that's revealed in His Word. It, the opposite of this would be sort of like a kid that gets caught with his hands in the cookie jar. All right? I've seen this, this video of this kid, and he is, it's, it's a young toddler. He's in his diaper, has no shirt on, but there is chocolate all over him. Chocolate on his mouth, chocolate in his hands, chocolate smeared all over, his, all over his chest. And he had obviously gotten into the cookie jar, which he was told not to. His parents are there, and they're, of course, videotaping this because I guess that's what parents do now. You videotape your kids when they're acting silly or whatever. And they're videotaping him, and they said, did you go in the cookie jar? And you know what the kid says? No. Now, it's laughable because it's obvious that he had broken and gone against the authority that his parents had over him. But yet he remained sort of blissfully ignorant and persisting in his own rebellion in how he did that. He didn't have conviction. And that can, that's shown in the fact, or that shows that that child doesn't recognize the true authority of his parents. Now, a toddler has to learn the authority that his parents have. 
and that's something that comes about through life. Aren't we often a lot like toddlers in that regard, regarding the Lord's authority in our lives? That we have to be taught that as God uses the Word of God and convicts us of those areas in which we are turning from His authority. But it's not, also, it's not just enough to know what God says. And secondly, it's not just enough to feel bad about it, to be convicted about it. But then, what are we to do with that information? Where the Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof or conviction, and then for what? Correction, or I'm going to say change. Scripture, when it reveals what we failed to do, it then encourages and reproves us to change our lives. It's given to effect change in our lives. The one constant that Scripture is driving us toward is change. And I think this would be a good question that we should ask ourselves when we sit down and read God's Word, all right? We're recognizing that it has authority. We're recognizing that it's teaching me and it's convicting me. So when I sit down and read God's Word, one question I should ask myself before I do this, and maybe even pray, Lord, reveal what in my life needs to change. And, and here's the thing. Do we ever get to a point where we arrive and say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm there. I don't need to change. Does that ever happen this side of glory? No. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are constantly being changed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. See, Scripture's authority, it has the right to tell us how we should act and how we should think. And so it seeks to correct or change those things. So it's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for reproof, for correction. And then the final thing it's that Paul speaks of, it's, it's profitable for training in righteousness or instruction in righteousness. Um, the term that's used there, it speaks about the idea of, of child rearing, of, of taking, like we said, a toddler who needs to learn the authority that his parents over him. The Scripture has that same effect in our lives so that the end result is a life that is transformed. So the realm in which, the final realm in which Scripture is called to work within us is to transform us. Scripture goes on after correcting us to guide us positively into what we should do as we live our lives in the things that we should do so that we are, as the Scripture says, putting off the works of the flesh and putting on the works of the Spirit, which are created in whose likeness? The likeness of who? Christ. We've been called to be like Him. Now, here's the thing. Only Scripture has the authority to do this. I think this is important to keep in mind. We, there is no other means that God has given us to make us like Christ but Scripture. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then Paul makes this point. Whose mind do we have? We have the mind of Christ. That Christ's mind is given us through the Spirit as He works in His Word. That Christ-likeness begins with thinking as Christ would think. 
And then as we let the Word of Christ do what? What is the Word to do within us? It's to dwell or live. It's to, it's to find its habitation, its home in us to what degree? Richly. It's, it's, to be, it's to be often found in our lives. We let that Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and then that works its way out in the way we act towards others. We teach, admonish one another in all wisdom. We sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness to your hearts, to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, we do everything in whose name? In our name? In the name of the Lord Jesus. As the word of Christ dwells within us richly, it instructs us in righteousness. And who is the source of our righteousness? It's Christ. And so Christ's likeness and, and the authority of God's word to show us what it means to be like Christ is found by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So again, what authority does the Bible have over us? Well, because the Bible comes from God, it holds the highest and final authority for what we must believe and how we must live. And Paul emphasizes this to us in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God, the authority of God's Word is given to guide us in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. Thank You, Father, again for the opportunity we have to come and to learn from Your Word. And I just pray, Father, that uh, You would work um, through what we've learned here today, that we would submit ourselves to the authority of Your Word, that we would not seek to go after our own ways, but, Father, that we would um, submit our lives to the truth of Your Word, uh, that we would uh, not um, seek to cast off the bonds and, and the ropes that you have placed upon us for our good, but, Father, that we would kiss the Son, that we would live a life of submissive, uh, a submissive life to Him as, he, as you, through your Spirit, guide and direct us with the authority of your Word. We pray these things, Father, in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.